back. Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, parent, and journalist. And I'm Alex. I've been married to Sarah for 15 years uh, in an open marriage for three. I work in communications, and I'm a musician in like four bands, two of which uh, have a bunch of content related to (laughs) non-monogamy. And I'm Jessica here producing this podcast, and since we're counting, Alex, me and Sarah have been best friends for more than 15 years. I don't know how many years. (laughs) Yeah, I think like 35. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say. How is that possible since I'm only 34? You know how that's possible? It's possible because we're old. (laughs) And today we have a guest with us, Kevin Patterson. Hi, Kevin. Hey, how's it going? Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Kevin is an active member of the Philadelphia polyamory community. He's been practicing ethical non-monogamy since August of 2002 after opening up a relationship that eventually became his marriage. In April of 2015, Kevin was inspired to start Poly Role Models, an interview series for people describing their experiences with polyamory. Poly Role Models is part of a drive and a desire to change the way our lives and communities are viewed. It's currently the most diverse and inclusive platform for polyamory available. To continue the discussion of polyamorous representation, Kevin has extended the blog's work into nationwide speaking engagements about how race and polyamory intersect. This has led to the writing of the book, Love's Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. Along with co-writer Alana Phelan, Kevin launched a sci-fi novel series for hire. The series is called For Hire. Uh, The series centers characters of color as well as other marginalized identities. Kevin, thanks so much for being here. What did I not get to in that bio? (laughs) Wow. Like, it it, it sounds awesome when you read it. (laughs) (laughs) It really does. You're doing a lot. (laughs) This is great. Sometimes I forget. (laughs) Thanks for making the time in that very busy schedule. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you having me on. So... Kevin, part of the the shtick on our podcast is kind of uh, getting trying to talk about things personally. Um, so, can we ask you about uh, some of your sort of personal relationship landscape? I think you mentioned Sarah mentioned in the bio that you're married. What does the rest yeah. of your relationship constellation kind of look like right now? Um, well, I'm, I'm as you said, I'm I'm married. Um, I've got uh, like a, a, basically a small a small um, a small set of local partners who I'm sort of like very invested in their lives they're very invested and involved in my life and then you know a series of like more casual engagements comments and so on long distance partners yeah that sounds nice yeah it does and I also was noticing here um that you've been ethically non-monogamous since 2002 so yeah 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 it's been it's been a ride I bet it has. Wow, before it was cool. <laughs> but I was going to say, <laughs> way to get on board early. Um, and I also noticed, as long as we're talking about uh, date pegs and anniversaries, that on your Instagram, you mentioned that Love's Not Colorblind turned five this month. Hey. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, and I, I just sort of forgot about it. Um, in terms, like, <laughs> I was looking through like my Facebook memories, and it wasn't so much that I saw Love's Not Colorblind. I saw that I was in Tucson, Arizona at a wedding of a, um, the, like a pair of partners who I had helped introduce. And then like, they asked me to be out there for their weddings. Like I had never actually met them before. Oh, wow. Before like flying to Tucson for their wedding. Oh, wow. Like, 
Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, these wedding photos. Oh, wait, Love's Not Colorblind was that weekend. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow. Eventful weekend. <laughs> yeah. In Tucson yeah. five years ago. <laughs> Congratulations on having a, a book that's five years old and has had a really, I think, profound impact um, on the way we think about race and non-monogamy. I'm I'm glad hey, I'm I'm first of all glad that anybody's read it and I'm glad that it has sort of had the the resonance and the impact that it has. Um, I kn- I remember when I I remember when I wrote it. I remember thinking I've got to get this book out pretty fast because there's probably going to be two or three or four other books that are going to be similar and um, talking about a lot of the same topic. And for for it to still be sort of the work. Mm-hmm. on the topic five years later that that says a lot it says a lot and I'm, I'm i'm glad to have contributed yeah no kidding it really does say a lot yeah i i kind of lurk on the uh polyamory non-monogamy uh reddit threads and i don't know if you've been following this but in the last few weeks there's been a bunch of blow up kind of about uh race and inclusion um in those kind of online communities and your book has been referenced just like over and over again as kind of like oh wow you know, I'm gonna you'll, you'll need to go out. read this basically <laughs> yeah there's like if you look at the kind of the top threads right now or the top posts on the the polyamory thread right now there's a lot of people talking about it and it's definitely, um, yeah, it gets a lot of nods as like the thing that you need to go read to like sort of get yourself right around inclusion, um, especially around race. That's, that's awesome to hear. I mean, like it, 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 it's awesome to hear that, that people respect the work. It sucks that we still have to have the conversations over yeah. and over and over, but we, but we're having them. And if I'm able to help, uh, give someone a frame of reference or a resource or what have you to make that conversation easier. I'm glad to have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and with that idea in mind, the kind of having to have the conversations again and again, I wanted to ask you about the past five years. Uh, You mentioned that you felt a real urgency to get that book out five years ago. I'd love to hear a little bit about that urgency. I'd also love to hear about what you've seen change or not change in the five years that that book has been around. Well, I mean, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of angle the conversation a little bit by saying, whenever I talk about race and polyamory, whenever I would go around, you know, when I'd go around the country talking about race and polyamory, I'd always get the validating, the validation of head nods from other black folks, from other people of color who were, who, you know, I'd say like, Hey, this is a thing that happened to me. And there'd always be someone else who could say, well, let me tell you about a similar thing that happened to me. Hmm. Or, you know, let me explain something, you know, that let me explain my own personal experience. So for me, the conversation about race and polyamory wasn't just my conversation. It wasn't something that I came up with mm-hmm. off the top of my head. It was a conversation that we had, that we have, and because we we share such common experiences, you know. So, yeah. Just being just being able like so when when I was writing the book, it didn't feel like it was just my story to tell. It's the reason why uh, I use a lot of people's stories. Um, throughout the book it didn't feel like it was just my story to tell it didn't feel like it was just my book to write so i just assumed i wasn't the only one writing a writing a book of that type i figured since we have this conversation there's probably five more other people writing similar books right now let me get mine out because my i don't want mine to get lost in the in the 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 deluge of race and polyamory (laughs) books that surely must be on their way only for only for me to have read that completely wrong. 
I really love that that was part of your urgency where you're like, this is obviously such an important conversation that so many people are a part of. I got to get my book in that conversation fast so that like I, I, I can make sure to be there for it. I really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to write the third book. I wanted to write the first one. <laughs> but uh, what I'm hearing you but say maybe is not the last one. Yeah. Right? That you also didn't maybe yeah. want to write the only one. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. You were just mentioning that when you're going around the country talking about race and polyamory, that you'll share experiences and be looking around the room and lots of BIPOC people are nodding their heads and saying, yeah, I've had an experience like that. I'm curious if you would be willing to share an example. Um, just off the top, uh, off the top of my head, like I remember, uh, I was, I was, ex- I was explaining how, like, I was explaining how I felt like othered, um, in, in, in some situation. And like my, my, my part of the, my part of the conversation, um, I actually don't remember, but I remember t- ex- explaining how I felt like othered in the situation. And another young black guy who I was talking to explained how he was playing some sport, and he kept getting asked to guard the only other black guy on the other team. Like, they, they weren't playing the same positions. They weren't doing the same things. They didn't make sense guarding one another. But both of their coaches just kept sending them up against each other. And at some hmm. point, they just realized, like, what was happening. And then they just sat down. They just stopped playing. They just sat down on the field and had a conversation with each other while the rest of the game went on around them. <laughs> That's wild. That makes me think I was I was uh, talking to Sarah about the book and kind of the realization that I think a lot of the content in it could be applied to the intersection of race and almost any other uh, kind of subculture or community that isn't race based. Um, so I'm a little bit I mean, I guess your uh, your um, allegory there kind of made me think of that. So I'm curious, like, what are some of the things that you feel like are kind of unique ways that uh, race and representation show up in pol- in polyamory as opposed to like other communities, you know, or other like whether it be like a, a hobby sport or whatever you're, you're just talking about. I mean, in, in polyamory, like sort of the, the, the sport, sort of the game is interpersonal connection, you know, where if I joined like a kickball team and I'm thinking very specifically about a kickball team that I had once joined, like, <laughs> if, if there are people on that team that I'm not interested in talking to or learning from or growing with outside of kickball, I can just ignore that person. You know, I can just ignore that person. Whereas in, if, if we're talking about polyamory, we're talking about interpersonal relationships. Like obviously you don't have to date, date everybody, but it's sort of, if you're being uh, anti-social in a social a social based um cluster it's gonna stick out a lot more rather than you know i'm just not high-fiving this one guy in kickball right, right. so like the stakes are a little higher yeah or a yeah. lot higher and, maybe and like the 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 desire like social currency as a or um social capital as a currency is a lot more freely spent in a polyamory community versus like some other sort of um, something else where you might be a little more disengaged from the people around you. Yeah, I really appreciate that framing, that social capital being spent really freely in non-monogamy. And, and there's like a couple of different lenses on that. One is what you're describing is just interpersonal 
curiosity, interest, like in interpersonal skills. Um, and the other can also be, I think, more imposed by existing hierarchies of how we see people as being like more powerful or more valuable. And that idea is one of the things that inspired the sort of informal series about existing uh, inequities and how non-monogamy can exacerbate them. Um, so that's like a weird abstract way of saying that I think that it's really interesting to consider how in a super social endeavor like non-monogamy, it's not just like, oh, whoever's the most friendly and whoever's the most curious and whoever's the most open-minded and whoever's, I mean, that's all elements of it. But some of those ideas about who is valuable and who is first and who is um, all the attention is going to gravitate towards is also going to be dictated by existing social hierarchies that suck. Yeah. And like, at, at, as you meet people, you're not just learning about people, you're learning about yourself. And the, the kind of lessons that you learn about yourself are, are, are going to are going to filter out to the outside world outside of your dating pool. Like the way that I communicate with my partners is ultimately the way that I'm going to learn to communicate with the world around me in general. Mm. So like if, if there's something going on, like with, with, with you and your dating and in terms of like, um, identity, identity politics, if like, if there's, if there's something, if something, if there's something going on in your background in terms of race and who you're willing to date and how you interact with the world around you, like these are things that are going to come into play really mm -hmm. seriously in a, in a polyamory community and then filter out into the way you interact with the rest of the world. And it goes in, and it goes in the opposite direction as well. Like when, when people talk about like when I, when I, when people, people like me, when, when I talk about the way, um, race impacts polyamory like a lot of a lot of that influence is just coming from the outside outside of polyamory it comes in because we live in a society we live in a mononormative society that's going to impact our polyamory in a way we live in a white supremacist society that's going to impact our polyamory a certain way and you know it, it goes in both directions mm -hmm. and i think there can be this temptation and it may be it definitely shows up among white non-monogamous people. I think it shows up in other kind of countercultural movements and groups where people like to think, oh, we're doing something that's countercultural or we're doing something that's different. And as a result, we're not going to be influenced by those bigger oppressive systems like white supremacy, like patriarchy, like capitalism. Um, and that that can yeah. be a really dangerous bypass. Yeah, and like, like, like maybe your countercultural revolution will counteract those things, but it has to be an intentional choice, and it has to be sort of built in from the root of whatever whatever counterculture you're 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 thriving in. Like, it has to be part of that from from the inception. Would Would you say you've experienced that, like in the polyamory communities that you're in, or even like going to conferences and things like that, that you run into people who have sort of present probably white people who sort of show up and assume like I have transcended these societal issues or like I'm polyamorous. So how could I be racist or, or things like that? Like, does that come up a lot? The, the, the one that came, the one that, that, that springs to mind, I was, um, 
it was actually the weekend after Love's Not Colorblind came out. Um, like it was Tucson for that wedding and then Tucson <laughs> a second time the, the following hmm. weekend for um, S- Southwest Love Fest. Um, and I got into a conversation with a fella and he was trying to explain to me how like, you know, we were having a conversation about um, missing stairs, um, predators in the local kink community. And he just sort of glossed by race when he was just like, yeah, you know, and I appreciated your workshop. We don't really have you know, a racial problem in our, you know, we don't have any race problems at all in our local kink community. You know, mm. my wife's got a, my wife's got a queen of spades tattoo. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, if we're like, all right. So like, you're, you're telling me your wife has a racist tattoo as, as, as proof positive that there isn't a race problem in your kinky circle. I really feel like we need to reevaluate that, you know? So like, you're, what you're saying is this guy was white. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ex- exceedingly so. And yeah. <laughs> uh, can you just fill in what that what does a Queen of Spades tattoo represent? I actually have no uh, idea. Um, spade is a ra- spade is a racial slur, and some people have taken it as sort of adopted it as like in, in a in a really fetishy dehumanizing sort of way. Queen of Spades, as in I love black dick, you know, mm-hmm. and see, yeah, 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 and. You know, and some people lean into it for their for their for their adult film uh, content. I've got, I'm that's not a kind of thing that I'm into. Um, it, a, a thousand sociology papers could be written about it, but I'm on a podcast, so I'm not gonna go any further <laughs> into that topic. That does speak to this idea of fetish, fetishization that comes up a lot in Love's Not Colorblind as a maybe particularly overt example of how racism shows up in non-monogamy. Yeah. And it's insidious in that people think that it's welcoming, you know, like I'm, I'm a pretty promiscuous guy. It doesn't take a whole lot to like get me into bed. But if you approach me in the, in a dehumanizing way, like that's going to make your chances even harder. Like that's something that's like, that's the kind of thing that's, that's really gross. And people are, it's the kind of thing that I feel is really gross, and it's the kind of thing that people who engage in it feel is a welcoming thing. Like, hey, you're, you know, I'm into black guys. Like, can you be into yeah. me? Because if you're not into me, then that's a different that's a different situation. Like, that's not something that I'm gonna feel flattered and and in and interested in. Yeah, that that's so intense, and it just like makes me think about how the kinds of sort of like, you know, racist microaggressions that might come up in, you know, on the kickball field or whatever, like in this context, I could see how they just would feel so much bigger because of the like level of intimacy and, you know, it's not saying guard that guy or yeah. And vulnerability. It's, it's yeah. saying like, I want to be with you in the most sort of intimate of ways, not because of who you are, but because of your race or my perception of your race. Yeah, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. And and the vulnerability is is right. Like that's the, you're you're putting yourself in a space where you're allowing someone the potential to harm you and while hoping that they don't. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's, that's love in general and that's what we're based on. I would imagine that most of the people listening to this are kind of like interested in the topic 
they're probably well for white people listening to this uh who might be interested in the topic they're probably thinking about and kind of grappling with like how do i show up in non-monogamy or polyamory um in a way that is more like enlightened or caring around race um so i'm curious like what kind of advice do you have uh for, you know, I, I guess one example would be there are probably a lot of white people who have become non-monogamous and uh, it's opened the door to them dating people of other races for the first time. And yeah. maybe they're excited about that. So I'm curious, like, what would you say to those people or how would you advise them to, like, think about that or rethink that? I mean, if, if, if it's if, if it's a matter of like you're you're open to, to, to dating new people, then just be open to new experiences and like and understand that understand that like a, a black person in that space isn't there for that reason you know um like i'm I, if i'm in a space i'm there to get the same level of socialization the same resources and fellowship i'm still like i'm trying to hang out and have a good time as well i'm not there to be your quote-unquote walk on the wild side i'm not there to be uh-huh. your, your a stamp on your ethnicity passport you know i'm just there to have a good time as well and like and respecting people as people is is really that simple. Yeah. You know, like if there's if there is a if there is a if there is a black perspective to bring, I you know, I will bring it. I will volunteer it. You don't need to ask for it. You know, it's the just the just the idea that that black people are in a space for a reason of your consumption of black people. That's mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm always telling people to ask questions, though. I'm always telling people, question the space, question the space that you're in. Like, if you're, if you're, if you're, um, if you're at a happy hour, you know, does does this does this space reflect like the population of the the the, the town that you're in, the city that you're in? Is this a is this a venue, a place where black people uh, are, you know, commonly frequent? How how much um, how much does it take to get here? Like, do you need babysitting? Do you need, um, you know, uh, parallel parking, which is surprising for me that like it's as huge a factor as it is. People always bring up parallel parking when I forget it. But like, is this the kind of place where you can go on a Tuesday night without having a, to, to pay a cover charge? Because if if there's going to be something financial involved, people who are traditionally marginalized by way of finance are going to find it a harder, they're going to find it a higher hurdle to attend that, you know, um, to attend like certain events. So like you question the space, you, you, you look around, you see who's here and who is it here. And when you see that people aren't here who could be or should be, ask the question, ask the question of the organizers. Why? Like, how come, you know, I, I've noticed that our events are, very very white what's going on with that what's being done about that is there something is there you know is there more that can be done here are there or you know can we change the leadership of this group can we add to the leadership of this group in a way that will be conducive to uh changing the the space that we have like i'm always telling people to ask questions because a a lot of times people don't ask those questions a lot of times people are just happy to have a happy hour to go to Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that really speaks to what you were saying a few minutes ago about the intentionality. And when we're parts of these subcultures and subgroups that are challenging norms in some or even many ways, being really intentional about how we're showing up and how we're 
building something that's inclusive instead of just assuming that that will somehow fall into place because we want it to. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's, that's just not enough. You know, you, the, the, the grass grows where you water it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was noticing in your bio, there's also this piece about poly role models. Um, and since we're talking about representation, I'd, Love for you to talk a little bit about that part of your work and kind of what you mean when you say poly role models. Um, so I, I'm going to start by saying I, I actually haven't updated poly role models in a, in a, in a couple of years. I um, I suffered some pretty severe burnout that uh, where I ended up having to put put the the, the blog on the back burner. Mm-hmm. But the 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 concept and like the, the you know it's still there. It still exists on Tumblr. You can actually go through and scroll through it. Um, but the concept was I want to show polyamory in a way that polyamory actually looks, you know, like a lot of the representation that we get is from people outside of polyamory communities. And it's more about scandal and sell, you know, um, titillation and everything like that. So I just wanted to, to ask people, like, tell me about your polyamory. Tell me what you're good at. Like, wh- tell me what you feel like you're good at. Tell me what you feel like you're bad at. Tell me how you rebound from the things that you think you're bad at and like tell me what kind of tell me what self-identities are important to you and how those impact your polyamory so like you know someone might say like you know i'm 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 black and i'm polyamorous and this is this is how those things impact each other or i'm a mom or i'm sober or i'm a nudist or you know (laughs) just something like that and people would explain what parts of themselves are important and how their polyamory relates to it (laughs) so just having that allowed allowed a lot of people to sort of see themselves in polyamory and i think like while i think the self-identities question was the most important one on there equally important is or almost as important was the what how do you rebound from the things you do poorly because we live in such a mononormative culture that anytime anyone has some non-monogamy that goes awry, people are like, see, see, that kind of thing mm-hmm. never works. You know, mi- you know, Mr. Mr. Eight Girlfriends in, in five years is like, hey, that, that non-monogamy <laughs> thing never works. <laughs> so I wanted to show people like it doesn't have to be perfect. You can you can be you can struggle with something, you can you can struggle with something and then you can still learn to get better at that thing. You can make a mistake and then learn how to never mis- make that mistake again. It doesn't have to be perfect to be successful and fulfilling. And I just wanted to show that and show all the different kinds of faces that that could come in. Yeah. And it sounds like it, yeah, it's like an opportunity to learn more things about yourself and explore, you know, vulnerably making mistakes, maybe on a, a sort of like, a faster timeline, maybe because you're having more relationships. Yeah, uh, in theory. Uh, like one of my fav- one of my favorite interactions uh, on, on poly role models was like one month a young woman had written in and said, you know, I'm bisexual, and a lot of people think that me being bisexual and polyamorous means that I'm greedy or I'm confused or I just want to sleep with all the people, and uh, you know, and, and she explained how her polyamorous life was about navigating around that particular stigma. 
And then like a month later, someone else wrote in and said, I'm a young bisexual woman. I am greedy. I am confused. I do want to sleep with all the people. And my polyamory is like navigating directly into that stigma. And I'm like, you know what? Both of them are valid. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad, I'm glad, you know, someone on, on, I'm glad someone on either side of that aisle could find some validation in the pulse of those two. And that this idea that there is space for lots and lots of things to be true uh, when it comes to how our identities intersect and show up in exactly. non-monogamy. Yeah. So, a, thi- a, th- a thing can be two things. Yeah. So I want to go on a, a tiny little journey to, uh, to use that as a segue to ask you about uh, masculinity. Um, we're, you're, I think you're the first male guest that we've had on this podcast. Um, and we've had quite a few. Um, and so I think in the same way that white people can show up in, you know, any kind of space and just assume that we're sort of like the default, right? We don't have to talk about who we are or like what we're bringing to the table in any specific way because it's kind of considered we're allowed we're allowed for it to be considered the kind of neutral yeah maybe the same thing is kind of true for men um you know that we can just be like we don't have any sort of unique experience that we have to talk about or represent or explore we just get to kind of be like yeah i'm a man you know <laughs> um yeah so i'm just curious to hear like your sort of reflections on that um and if if non-monogamy has helped you to understand your own kind of masculinity in, in new or different ways. Oh yeah. Yeah. One, 100%. Like, um, my, 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 my polyamory origin story, uh, and up until like a certain amount of months or years into my adventure, like my polyamorous adventure had just been like myself and other women. Mm -hmm. And at some point my, my, my wife, was like, you know, I, there's a guy that I want to go see. And like, I, I, I didn't want to tell her, you know, no, don't do that because how would that be fair? And, you know, like part, you know, part, partially, how would that be fair? And partially, I don't want her to like rescind this thing that we're doing, you know? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and, and, yeah. So like she goes, she goes out with, with a guy and I, and I ask her for all the details um, because like in my head, it was always going to be like the wildest thing ever that I was always going to feel insecure about. And then like, as she said, as she told me everything about the situation, like all I, all I could really come up with was I'm glad she had a good time. And I'm glad that she's home. Like I was sitting here expecting to like flip over tables and punch holes in walls and be angry and upset or, you know, or, or turned on or something or just, you know, I was expecting such a major reaction and all I could come up with was I'm glad she had a good time. I'm glad that she's home. <laughs> so like I had to start asking myself, but why was I expecting such a big reaction? You know, what told me that I was supposed to f- flip tables and punch holes in walls? Like that's not a characteristic that I, I have. That's not a thing that, that I, that I usually do, you know? So why would I expect it in this case? And it made me like sort of break down just like masculinity and the things that we're taught, like the things that society tells us we're supposed to feel the way we're supposed to act. And like some of that stuff is stuff that works for me and some of it isn't. And I just sort of had to like parse it all out and sort of customize what masculinity looks like for myself. And I feel like in polyamory, we're all sort of called to do that because just the idea that we have partners who have other partners 
is something that's antithetical to the way society trains us, you know? Mm -hmm. Like like my partner having another another male partner is something that I'm supposed to uh, that society says I'm supposed to regard as a rivalry, regard as a as, as an aggression. And to not do that means that I have to unlearn a lot of other things that uh, that society trained me about masculinity. Mm -hmm. It's like the assumption that you should be competitive and maybe that 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 kind of messaging is is also like masculinity is the enforcer of monogamy in some ways like that inherently yeah. competitive nature that you kind of assumed would show up for you. That's really it's, interesting. Yeah. Like, like we're all like, as if we're all just like, you know, doing mating calls in the, in, in the, in the forest <laughs> or something. I also just was struck when you said, I thought that I would be flipping over tables or I would be turned on. It made me think about what a small range of emotions men are allowed to have. Right. Like, I'm either going to yeah, be right. really pissed off or horny. Or maybe yeah. both at once. Or maybe both at once. And <laughs> yeah. I, like, I thought that was just like such a perfect description of what a tiny spectrum that is. Like we're, 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 we're basically trained to either fight or fuck one or the other. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, I think this, what you were saying about customizing masculinity for yourself and how non-monogamy calls us to do that in a lot of our identities. Um, again, I was thinking about your bisexual women on the um, polyamory role models, and I was identifying actually with both of them. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm like, 50 that and 50 that, yep. <laughs> um, and how, because we're already saying like, we're not accepting this monogamous script, it does call on us to say, what other scripts are we noticing as we have more and more intimate relationships? And what are we noticing about ourselves? And how can we write our own? Um, and I just love that language about customizing your masculinity to work for you. It really, really struck me. Yeah, I mean the the same way I, the same way I'm telling everybody like, hey, make sure you ask a lot of questions about about event venues. You got to ask a lot of questions about yourself. You know, you got to ask a lot of questions about like, why, you know, if, if you feel a way, why do you, why do you feel that way? If you, if you expect to feel a way and you don't, what happened there? You know what, mm -hmm. what, why did you have the expectation? Why did you have the reaction? How come those two things weren't flipped and, and so on? Just you poly, like polyamory sort of forces that on you because you have to, you have to, um, uh, you have to confront so many different assumptions because you're off the path of what like a standard relationship is supposed to look like. The the modeling that you get that you might get from your parents or sitcoms, pop culture, Disney movies, you have to like examine that because that's that's a thing that you've been fed. And maybe you regurgitated it or maybe you didn't, but both of those things have a reason. Both of those things deserve examination. Yeah, and when things go wrong or you make a mistake or other people do, to kind of have the ability to hold yourself in the idea that that's because people make mistakes, not because you're doing something wrong or different. And that's why this is, you know, this has gotten difficult. Exactly. Like, mon monogamous folks mess up their monogamous relationships all the time. What? And... You, it's it's so rare to hear someone say like maybe maybe monogamy isn't what I want, but every time somebody messes up a polyamorous relationship, someone's like, "I told you that that sort of thing doesn't work." Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, 
And there's like maybe, this might be a bit of a stretch, but it was just getting me thinking about systems like white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, monogamy, all these ways that like there are these needles sort of lined up that you're, su you're supposed to thread if you're lucky and your identities would even allow you to. And then society's like, and now nothing bad will ever happen to you. <laughs> and it's like, uh, right. False. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not how that works. Not how that works. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had another question, um, about representation, but I didn't want to jump in too fast on the masculinity. No. Yeah. Tangent. I think that I, I really appreciate what you said, Kevin. I think it's interesting to think about how, I mean, the way that shows up for me is, I guess I had some of these same assumptions going in, like having the, the, you know, person that I love and am married to, like dating other people. But like a lot of it shows up for me around more this like sense of perfectionism. And I think that's definitely like maybe both a white thing and a man thing or like a white man thing that like we feel like uh, because we're moving through the world and like kind of get getting away with doing whatever and not being questioned very much that we assume like we need to do everything perfectly and if we are ever questioned or we ever make a mistake then that's like like tragically bad yeah um, and we're just trying to avoid that at all costs kind of and 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 real talk like the the, the handful of times that i've been i've been called out or called in be, you know because because i had done or said something you know problematic the thing that the thing that really saved me in those instances was that I, st I, I actually took a breath before I reacted defensively mm -hmm. mm. because like in a lot of cases, especially especially like as a man who, who dates primarily non men. I realized that like there's a there, there's sort of a social capital. There's a there's a power there's a power dynamic involved there. And as difficult as it is for me to hear that I might have said something harmful or done something harmful, it's probably harder for them to to bring it to me. You know, it's probably harder for them to have to, to have to have that conversation with me. And if I and if I react in a way that sort of dismisses the the concern and the and, and or the person bringing me the concern that causes more problems than just listening. It causes more problems than just listening to understand instead of listening to debate. Yeah. And that, that instinct to try to escape your discomfort, um, you know, uh, uh, that of having potentially made a mistake is oh, you, know, you yeah. really have to fight that instinct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I realize that I've learned a lot more and I've maintained better, better relationships by listening to people's concerns rather than acting defensively about it. And like, even if we end up having a conversation where we don't end up on the same page, like at least we understand where the other person is coming from, mm -hmm. you know, at least we understand it a little bit better so that we can like move forward without, without having um, like, you know, further conflicts. Yeah. But every that time I act like defensively, it, uh, it, it blows up into something worse. Yeah, I think that maps perfectly to what was going on on the, the subreddits around polyamory that uh, people of color were kind of saying, like, I'm not finding this to be an inclusive space or like, you know, this people are making these kind of problematic comments. And then a lot of people responded with a thing that I think you talk about in the book of drawing false equivalencies between like the experience of being um, treated poorly or maybe even in a prejudicial way and being, you know, on the receiving end of systemic racism. Yeah. And how you can't 
you can't draw parallels between those two things. Would you mind like just saying a little bit more about that? Because I don't know if I really explained it super well. Um, I, 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 I explained that like when it comes to like systemic oppression, like systemic oppression versus like you know, uh, um, like like big, like bigotry and and uh, systemic oppression, they sort of sound the same in terms of like and like functionally, they functionally they might be the same. But systemic oppression cuts off access. Mm-hmm. It cuts off resources. You know, like if it's the difference between you yelling, you know, you yelling at your boss, "F you, you're fired," and your boss yelling at you, "F you, you're fired." Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the same things yelled at the same volume, but in the power dynamic, one of you has a job and one of you doesn't. Mm-hmm. And in both and in both situations, it's the same person. So, like. I understand, like, uh, the, the analogy that I end up using in Love's Not Colorblind is, um, you know, if I've got a friend, if I've got a, if me and my friend both accidentally kick the, the, the edge of our shower, you know, they stub their toe, I break my foot. Our lives are, our lives are very differently impacted and trying to draw it together to make, uh, to make it like, oh, well, we both just hurt our feet. Why you have such a, a serious issue when I don't? Like, this is a false equivalency. These aren't the same, these aren't the same things. And systemic oppression and bigotry, it, unless you're examining the power dynamic involved, they're not going to be the same, you know? Like, I'm not, like, I'm not a guy, I'm not a guy who, who, make, who, who commonly makes a lot of, like, white people jokes, you know? <laughs> but if I do, it's not going to impact anybody's jobs. You know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be like, it's, it's, it's not top down. Like the white, like white men are disproportionately, are disproportionately represented in like every growth opportunity that America has to offer. And as a result, like the power dynamics only move in one direction. If that's, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's so interesting because now there's like a lot of, this is kind of a tangent, but there's a lot of hand wringing right now about like the lack of opportunities for men or like, you know, men of a younger generation, like not succeeding in the same ways that they had historically and probably specifically white men. Um, and then sort of, I guess the, the unspoken thing is like uh, more representation and intentional creation of uh, spaces or opportunities for women and people of color is, is the cause um, and it, I just think that's so, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty insidious, um, but not yeah. surprising, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, if, if, if just looking, just looking at like a list of our, of our United States presidents, you know, like there's, um, there's a pretty long consistent string of white guys on that list. <laughs> right. right. Yes. Yeah, to say the least. And then, and then you got a, a, a brown, a brown guy, a black guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there's, if the next, you know, if the next 40 presidents look the same as the first 40 presidents, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I don't think, I, I think we're going to see like, a, it, there's going to be more than just the one brown guy mm-hmm. in the next 40 presidents versus the first 40. And if you, if you were hoping to go 40 for 40 and like, and your, <laughs> I, your personal identity is based on going 40 for 40. That's going to be the problem that you have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like hearing the two of you talk about this, partly there's a distinction between like hurt feelings and existential threats. Mm-hmm. And I think like 
as a white woman, <laughs> I think also white women, white feminists, uh, we can struggle with making those distinctions too. When, when are our feelings hurt or when do we feel defensive or when does something feel scary and new versus when is something an actual existential threat? Um, and that, that difference really matters. That scale matters. Uh, and it can get, it can get jumbled. Yeah. That's a, and you're experiencing both things. Like yeah. you're experiencing the, the privilege of being white and the lack of privilege of being a woman. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Hard. All right. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I guess it's it's uh, probably a good idea to circle that back to polyamory and non-monogamy and like think about that. There's just that that question there of like, okay, we're kind of recreating uh, the rules or we're like breaking a lot of the, the norms and rules that have been there and kind of like, you know, transgressing in this one in one way and, and hopefully becoming more free in doing that. Um, but then, you know, can we actually do that in a way that, uh, doesn't perpetuate a bunch of the, the same things that are happening, you know, in yeah, those traditional and, structures. And that's what I'm always saying. You, you, you got, you got to ask the questions. You got to ask the questions of, of the space because a lot of times, a lot of times like the, the disparity in, in, in treatment, the disparity in access, uh, and visibility in these spaces, a lot of times it's, it's not, it's not malicious. It's not intentional. But the changing of it just has to be intentional. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting. I'm hearing definitely you talking about this intentionality and building it into the subculture, into non-monogamy and into these communities. The other thing I'm hearing you say a lot, Kevin, is about being curious and open to learning and really centering that as part of your experience as a non-monogamous person, that we're having multiple intimate interpersonal relationships I would think because we want to learn from lots of people. Um, and so staying in that learning space and in that, that curious space, even when it gets challenging and maybe especially, uh, I was really noticed when you said like when women come to you and call you in or call you out that you're taking a beat and recognizing that they are trusting you yeah. by doing that. And that that trust is something to be honored and you want to draw closer to it, not distance yourself from it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, you, you said it, you said it perfectly. I, there's actually nothing I can add to that. <laughs> oh, great. All right. Well, that, that's the end of the podcast. Then. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> yeah. I, I really appreciate that. Um, one of the things I wanted to make sure that we get to, because I am just so curious what your take on this is, Kevin, since you've been in non-monogamous communities since 2002, you've had this book for five years, you've done so much thinking and so much great work around this. It seems like non-monogamy is trending. And I think my first question for you is, does it seem that way to you? Uh, and if so, why do you think that is? What's going on? Um it's 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 hard to say all i can all i can honestly say from my own perspective is when i was doing poly role models and that was and you know and i stopped doing it actively i think in 2018 around around the same time love's not colorblind came out um but when i was running it as a really active blog I get like I I had all the notifications turned on my phone every time somebody new uh, started following the blog, and I got 
I got really into the names. People had, you know, really cute names. And I'd look <laughs> at other people's Tumblr pages. And more often than not, they were people in, like, between the ages of, like, 15 and 19, you know? Mm. Sometimes even younger than that. Interesting. Okay. And, like, these were, these were folks who I didn't believe had the, 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 the space or the capacity to have actual polyamory rela- polyamorous relationships, you know, in junior high and high school. I didn't think they were doing that. But just the idea that, like, they were open to it. They're having the conversations. Like, we've got, we've got the Internet. You don't have to actually go out and be in a relationship to actually have the discussion, to huh. be a part of a community, to, to learn before you try. And if it's, if it's trending... I think that's the reason, the same reason like every identity is trending because <laughs> finally we're not like, we're not huddled in corners. We're on the internet having real conversations. We're meeting together at, uh, in, at, uh, at conferences and we're, you know, writing, writing books and speaking about them all over the country. Like we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of at critical mass and I feel like that's, that's identity across the board right now. Yeah, that feels generational and very internet-based and this potential to, like, make connections in ways that you couldn't before. Mm. And accept, like, and or even embrace the the ways that you feel like you might be different, I guess. Like, there's yeah. more structure yeah. for that. Yeah, because, like, the, whoever the weird kid was at your school, <laughs> he, he went on the internet and found, like, a hundred other weird kids, started a weird kid society, and now they feel, <laughs> now they're the most comfortable people you'll ever meet. Uh, <laughs> We're, okay, let me ask, were you the weird kid <laughs> in your school? No, no, no. I was a mid-level nobody. Oh, yeah, me too. That's, That's kind of perfect. the safest Classic. place to be. Mid-level uh-huh. nobodies, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's like three other questions I had. We probably don't have time before 11, so I was thinking I might throw them out and see which one Kevin picks up. Wow, okay. You're going to ask three <laughs> right. questions rapid fire. <laughs> Really concisely. Let's hear it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one is I was I'm really curious um, to talk about further about representation of non-monogamous communities. I think they are often represented as rich and white when they're represented at all. And I was curious to have you reflect on that. Um, I also am interested. I know you have kids and your book was dedicated to them and so do Alex and I, and I was curious how you talked to them about non-monogamy since we were talking about weirdo kids. Um, and then of course our classic mistakes were made question, which is what's a mistake you made you'd be willing to share with our audience. All right. I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the two, with the, with the two question, just because I've been thinking a lot about my kids just in general. Cool. Um, so when I, when I, a second ago, when I was talking about like the, 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 you know, the youth of Tumblr, um, who, who would find my blog right now, like my kids are sort of doing that on their own with TikTok, mm-hmm. where they're, they're, they're learning a lot about like the world around them just based on like other people's content and they'll show it to me. And I don't understand any of it because <laughs> I'm, I'm a, a man in my forties, but <laughs> it's an easier conversation for me to have in terms of non-monogamy with my kids, especially since like, you know, my, I, I've been non-monogamous for over 20 years. They're under 20 years. You know, my kids are, are, are tweens. Mm. 
So like for them, it's been it's been their norm. But we're always age appropriate with them. We're always you know we always keep things age appropriate and 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 very honest with them. Like they know who my partners are. They know what our relationship is. Um, for them, it's just like okay, there's you know other adults here, and they can engage with those other adults as they feel like it or decide not to, not to. But like when I was. When I was a kid, when I was their age, me being a black kid in like uh, in a myth, a mixed ethnicity neighborhood, I was still like one of the like I was like a diversity marker because there were, mm. there were only like a few black kids in this school. Whereas now, like my my kids go to school with like so many black kids and so many queer kids, so many straight kids with queer parents, so many adopted kids, like. The non-monogamy is just another another mm. thread in a tapestry in a in a in a quilt there, or another patch on the quilt. Yeah, that's really nice. I mean, that's one of the things that I think about with with respect to our kids and like uh, how they have to carry that with them, you know, outside of our house. Not not how they understand it necessarily, but how other people understand it, and then like uh, bring it to them. Um, so it's really it's really nice to think about a, a world where that is kind of like you said another patch on the quilt and and something that that they don't have to be afraid of being different around I guess yeah yeah like you don't have to you don't have to make a big deal out of it it can just be oh okay that's something that it's it's, it's neutral information that's something new about you cool yeah. that's it I love that thank you Kevin yeah thank you anything else you want to mention talk about. Uh, reiterate any plugs um, any plugs yeah <laughs> uh, 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 Alana Alana Phelan and I were we're actually working to get the the third book in the for hire series uh out as an audiobook we're we're working on the fifth book or the fourth and fifth books of the uh the for hire series so if you want to take a look at those uh those are available on my website kevinapatterson.com um Dr. Liz Powell and myself, we have t- uh, classes that we teach. Um, of, we have a series of classes about polyamory available on our web on our website. It's called unfuckyourpolyamory.com and it's got a pay as you go uh, or pay what you can option um, for the full six courses. Oh, I love it. We'll be sure and put all of that in the show notes. <laughs> I love that thing. It's such a good title. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we go, you want to just tell us a little bit about the For Hire series? I know we touched on it in your bio, but. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was weird. Like, while I was writing Love's Not Colorblind, I, I took like a month and a half off uh, to, to just sketch, sketch up a story about like, uh, like a superhero story. And it turned into a series, like a queer polyamorous superhero series um where like we wanted to we wanted to sort of subvert some things we didn't want like the uh, the, we didn't want it we wanted to subvert love triangles uh we wanted to sort of recreate um a sci-fi universe where a lot of a lot of sci-fi universes they sort of speculate that you're in a world without any kind of systemic oppression without actually explaining you know how you got there or why the main character is still like a cishet white guy so like we wanted to we wanted to do something different with our superhero universe because alana and i are both uh superhero geeks we've got three books out now operator um operator audition and supercell and and uh, the first two of those are available as audiobooks as well 
Oh, cool. those sound that amazing. Sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank oh. you, Kevin. All Thank right, you. yeah. We'll have links to all of those in the bottom of the show notes too. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today, Kevin. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. Yeah. And thank you for listening to Mistakes Were Made. Uh, If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Instagram at the handle MistakesCast. See you next time. Bye.